G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. How can every truth claim be valid when some truth claims directly oppose each other? Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear about tolerance. Is it the biggest lie ever? Increasingly today, to tolerate others' beliefs or differences means to accept them all as equally valid, therefore doing away with absolute morality and truth. Think about it just a moment. If everyone gets to choose what is right and wrong in his or her own eyes, then who are you to ever stand up and tell anybody that what they're doing is wrong? This is Today with Jeff Vines. More than anything else, I am convinced that the university students, the young adults, college age, they want more than anything else somebody that they can trust. You think about it. We're going to focus on this issue today with our college and university students because we value them, because we realize and recognize what it's like for them. So at any point in this message, you're sitting out there thinking, well, this is not for me. That's going to help you realize how they feel sometimes on a weekend when we're talking about marriage or children or family, and they're wondering, what is this all about? But I want you to pay attention because I want you to be well-informed and to be able to pray for them as they go out and start another school year. And if you're a university student, I challenge you this morning to do two things. One, get your pen or pencil out and start writing uh, in the notes in the bulletin, and also to go out and get a CD. And if you need to listen to this over and over to be able to defend what you're going to face, I'll encourage you to do that. More than anything else, they just want to know who they can believe. They've been raised in a generation where prime ministers and presidents are lying, where pastors are lying, where teachers are lying, and they're smart enough to know it. Now you think about it. What's the biggest lie that you can ever remember being told? Depends on who you are, doesn't it? If you're a Republican, you're going to say the Democrats have told the biggest lie, right? When you tell a lie, there are usually three motivations. Number one, it's because you want to cover up something you did. You don't want anybody to find out about it. Number two, you want to try to scare people into doing something they're not presently doing. Or number three, you want to scare people into not doing something they presently are doing. Either way, you're motivated to lie. Let me read to you something Jesus said in John chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there may you be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Here's what I want to do. 
I want to focus on the biggest lie being told to our university age generation. I want to talk about why I believe that why that lie is being perpetrated. And then I want to talk about what we are compelled to do because of it. So here's the first thing. Number one, what is the biggest lie being told to our university students? It's summed up in one word, the word tolerance. Now, tolerance is a good thing. Actually, do you know it's part of the founding fathers' declaration of how this country would be established? It was all under the heading of the marketplace of ideas. And here's what it said. No matter what kind of philosophy or opinion or view that you hold in America, you will be equally protected. That is, no matter how wacky your views are, it's okay. No one's going to persecute you. No one's going to beat you. No one's going to discriminate you against you in the workplace. All views, opinions are equally protected, and I'm good with that. You should not be discriminated against. You should not be uh, persecuted physically if you hold some kind of wacky view because the whole idea of marketplace of ideas was that we would all come together and all air what we believe and that logic would ultimately win out. That you would test them and ask the question, which views conform to reality? So if you're like Mike Royko and you decide you want to find the church of asylumism and in your heart you believe that a long time ago, Way up there, somewhere in the galaxy far, far away, there was this alien nation. And these aliens one day got a hold of some tainted veggie dip. Yeah, you heard right, tainted vegetable dip. And it scrambled their brains, and it was a contagious virus. So you had a lot of loony people living on this planet, loony aliens. They wanted to contain it, so they sent all the aliens who had been tainted by the veggie dip to an uninhabited planet far, far away so that they could just run around and act crazy and loony. And Mike Royko says, and if you want to know where that planet is, it's planet Earth. If you don't believe me, just read the newspaper, watch television, and tell me this isn't one big loony bin. Now the point, even though that's just ridiculous, ludicrous, and crazy, the point is, under the marketplace of ideas and the correct definition of tolerance all views and opinions and philosophy are equally protected. You cannot go out and shoot Mike Royko because you don't agree with him. And I like that view of tolerance. We tolerate all or protect all opinions, ideas, and philosophies. But here's the problem. That is not the way institutions of higher learning in America are defining tolerance. They're defining it like this. All views, opinions, and philosophies are equally valid and equally true. That's a far cry from being equally protected. But here's where the lie is. They don't even live it out themselves. They just propagate it. They teach it in the university class, but they actually don't live it out day to day. So why then do they stress this lie, this erroneous definition of tolerance? In order that they might be able to harness that definition at an opportune time to achieve their objective. And if that's the position you hold, there are going to be some casualties. Casualties that these higher universities of institution and learning welcome. The first is this. If all ideas and philosophies are equally valid, the first casualty is there is no longer any such thing as absolute moral wrong and right. No absolute thing as moral law. Moral law is no longer an absolute category. Right and wrong is left up to each individual. You get to determine what is right and wrong for you. After all, if all moral denunciations or all moral truths are valid, then when you stand up and say that something is wrong, the rest of us have to say, well, that's valid too, even if it's contradictory. Now, the reality is, 
People say this and teach it, but don't live it out. Let me just give you one example again. Let's go back to Hitler. Remember the time machine illustration where we can all go back to Hitler and we can say, Hitler, you're a bad man. You're an evil man. You did wrong things. You are morally corrupt. You gassed thousands upon thousands of little children in the gas ovens of Auschwitz. You lined entire families up and shot them at point blank range. You destroyed entire communities. Hitler, you're an evil, bad man. You are morally wrong. Now, what if Hitler said, wait a minute, no, no, no. It's wrong in your eyes, but it was right in my eyes. After all, I was just trying to protect the German race from the corrosion and tarnishness of the Jews. So what I did was save my people in order to create a pure bloodline to create the Ubermensch, the Superman. So you might say it's wrong, but I say it's right. Now, unless... There is an absolute moral law that says it is absolute mor absolutely morally wrong to go and wipe out an entire generation just so that you can advance your own political agenda, then Hitler would have an argument to make. University professors in ethics will stand up all day and tell you there's no absolutely or absolute moral wrong or right, but they don't go out and live it. It reminds me of a call that we received in New Zealand. A lady calls in and says, this is the problem I have with you pastors and you Christians. You talk as if there's an absolute moral right and wrong. I think right and wrong is left up to each individual to decide what is right and wrong for him. And I said to her, no, you don't. She goes, what do you mean? You don't really believe that. She goes, yes, I do. And I said, okay, then. Are you telling me that it's not absolutely morally wrong for an adult to sexually abuse a child? Now, I use that example because in a secular country, strange as it is, like New Zealand, they detest pedophiles. They put a little microchip in your arm so that they can follow wherever you are at every moment of the day. So I said, are you telling me that it's not absolutely wrong to commit these acts? Do you know what she did? She hung up the phone. She knew, she knew she had been had. No one lives by this, yet our universities keep talking about it. And isn't it interesting? I find it incredibly ironic that liberal universities continue to tout this philosophy that no moral law exists that is absolute, and yet they're the very ones who engage in the most violent protest when they think their morality's been wronged. Whether it's the abuse of animal rights or child trafficking or irresponsible polluting by big businesses, they stand up and say, that is wrong, no fair, that is an absolute moral violation. Every time you stand up and protest, you are assuming that killing people, abusing animals, trafficking children, and polluting the world is an absolute moral violation. And you're expecting the rest of the world to conform to your morality, otherwise you wouldn't even protest. Think about it just a moment. If everyone gets to choose what is right and wrong in his or her own eyes, then who are you to ever stand up and tell anybody that what they're doing is wrong? And yet our nation does it, our politicians do it, and our university professors who teach ethics leave the classroom and go and do exactly that. This is Today with Jeff Vines. With our society more and more reluctant to accept absolute right and wrong, is tolerance the biggest lie ever? Let's continue now. Listen, university students, memorize this. Write it down somewhere. All moral denunciations of any kind assume an absolute moral law. Or put another way, all moral denunciations of any kind assume a moral absolute. As soon as you stand up and say something's wrong, you're assuming absolute right and wrong. All right, that's the first casualty. Here's the second casualty. If we define tolerance as all views, opinions, and philosophies about all things are equally valid and equally true, then not only does absolute moral law go, 
But language or words have no ultimate meaning. Language or words have no ultimate meaning. Now, let me just warn you, you're about to get a headache. But I need you to follow me. The university students, they'll know what I'm talking about here. But you moms and dads and you grandparents, you need to hear me because soon your daughter or your son is going to come to you and they're going to present you with this. And I want you to be equipped and ready to be able to defend it and to explain it, okay? Here's what they're being told. They're being told that there is no such thing as a transcendental signified. I shared a little bit of that with you earlier. I'm going to tell you the whole ball of wax now. They're being taught at university that no word has absolute or ultimate meaning. That the meaning of any word is left entirely up to the reader or the listener. That you can make words mean whatever you want them to mean. Now, the reason we're doing this in our universities is so that we can reinterpret history to say what we want it to say to advance our own agenda. If we can discredit historians in the past that have violated what we believe should be appropriate in our culture, then all we have to do is say this. Well, when you read a history book or when you read something, there's no ultimate meaning of the words. You apply the meaning that you believe the word should have. Now, you think about how ludicrous that is. One, it took words to tell us and explain to us that definition that had absolute meaning. Two, Amy Orr, my friend, met a college student who had been taught this by the ethics professor and was quite proud of it and said, you know what? I don't believe that words have ultimate meaning. And Amy Orr said, is that right? Let me get this straight. You're saying that words do not have an absolute meaning, that we get to give meaning to the words, whatever meaning we choose to give? And her friend said, okay. And Amy Orr said, all right then. You won't mind then if I take what you just said to mean you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're going to church with me on Sunday. What? You just said words have no absolute meaning, so I'm going to interpret what you said to mean that. I'll pick you up at 9.30 sharp. <laughs> it's ludicrous, but it's being propagated. It's aggressive too. And isn't it interesting that most liberal universities in our country are the first ones to go and debate the real meaning of the real words in the Constitution, especially the First and Second Amendment. But if words have no absolute meaning, then the Constitution can mean to me whatever I want it to mean, and to mean you whatever you want it to mean, and we can't enforce our view on anybody else. Now think of the loony bin. Maybe Mike Roy goes right. Maybe this is one big loony bin. Think about it. Why would we even have meetings to talk about the right and the wrong interpretation of the Constitution if there's no absolute meaning to words? The real question is, why are our university students facing this kind of logic or illogic in the classroom? Third, if we define tolerance as every philosophy or idea or opinion being equally valid, then there is no such thing as absolute moral law because any moral statement would be just as valid as the next. If I say, I think we should all kill little children, then you would have to accept that as my moral absolute as moral right. Two, the next thing to go is language has no ultimate meaning. And three, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Now, write it down and then look up here because I'm going to hammer this. No such thing. That's what we're being told. Our university students, if you're a freshman, you're going to go into university unless you're at Azusa Pacific or some others that I don't know about. Most of the time, you're going to hear there absolutely is no such thing as absolute truth. So I go over to my friend uh, in New Zealand and I sit in his home and for four hours, I answer his question and defend why it is that I believe Jesus to be the way to God. 
the only way to God. He smiles, shakes his head up and down, and I think, man, I'm making leeway here. This is great. This guy who lives in a secularistic country is actually listening to my defense, and I think, he, I think he's moving. The Spirit of God is in the room. And after I'm finished, he gently places his hand on my shoulder and says, Jeff, that's great, man. If that's true for you, and if that works for you, congratulations. The assumption is, if that's true for you, but it's not true for me. So I thought to myself, I wonder if this guy really believes this. Does he really believe it? And so I said, I'm glad you said that, Phil, because I want to tell you now what I really believe. I believe that if I can kill every child in our community and take all the energy that it would have taken to grow them up to adulthood and harness it and bring it into myself, that I could live a life of immortality. And I would like to start with your two children. Phil looks at me and he says, what? And I said, but you just said what is true for me is acceptable. You said I could determine my own truth. That's my own truth. And since you also don't believe in absolute morality, then who are you to tell me what I believe and what I do is wrong? Nobody lives this way, folks, because life is unlivable. As a matter of fact, let's go to university class just for a second. Now, some of you are going to get a headache. You university students will have a good time here. This is specifically for you. Let's think about this for a moment. Let's look at the following ideas. Number one, when you say there is no such thing as absolute truth, this in itself is a self-defeating statement. Because if there's no such thing as absolute true, truth, how do I know absolutely that it's true that there's no such thing as absolute truth? Right? I love it when a student came to me in Savannah, ran into my office just in a huff and a puff and said, Jeff, I've heard what you had to say, but I'm telling you, there is absolutely no way we can know anything for sure. We can never know anything for sure. And I said to him, really? then if we can never know anything for sure, how do you know for sure we can never know anything for sure? <laughs> we assume many truths every day that are absolute. When a student will come to me, and it happens a lot, and says to me, Jeff, I hear what you're saying, but I simply do not believe that there's any such thing as absolute truth, I will always respond by saying, you don't really believe that. And they'll say, yes, I do. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And I'll say, let me give you an absolute truth. You exist. Because if you did not exist, you could not come into my office and say to me, there's no such thing as absolute truth. You exist, otherwise you couldn't speak. And it goes on and on. We all agree there are mathematical conclusions, geographical facts, and historical events that can be absolutely known. Two plus two is four. It's absolutely true. George Washington was the first president of the United States. That corresponds with what is real, what is true. Minnesota is north of the equator. This is undeniably true. Things are true because they correspond to what is real. Now follow me, students, carefully. How can every truth claim be valid when some truth claims directly oppose each other. For instance, Christianity says that Jesus is God in the flesh. Islam says Jesus is not God in the flesh. How can both of those truth claims be true? How can they both be valid when they violate the most fundamental rule of logic in debate? The law of non-contradiction. That two statements made about the same thing that directly oppose one another cannot both possibly be true. All truth claims cannot be valid. You test it by asking which one corresponds to reality. If I say my wife is pregnant, 10 minutes later I say my wife is not pregnant, both those statements cannot be true unless we're living in one big loony bin. So let's review. All true statements are not equally valid, only those that reflect reality. What is the big lie then? Tolerance. Tolerance defined as all views about all things, opinions and ideas are equally valid. 
This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll have to leave it there, but Pastor Jeff will continue Tolerance, the biggest lie ever, next time. So please join us then. All truth claims exclude what is false. That is the nature of truth. As a matter of fact, think about this. Even atheism is exclusive, isn't it? It says there absolutely is no God. So by definition, they exclude everybody who believes in God. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 